Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So uh, you've been doing a series in Ephesians, which you probably know. And we've got to just three verses today. Would you mind just putting those on the screen for me? This is from Ephesians chapter 5. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. So come with me in your spiritual imagination to a place of wonder where everybody tries to imitate God and as a result lives a life of love. There isn't even a whiff of immorality, greed, abusive speech or deception. Here, everybody lives a consistent life and they make the most of every opportunity. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the church, to your church, to the spirit-filled church, That is the subject of this series that we've been doing here. The concept of church is so beautiful. All kinds of people coming together under the same Lord to establish his kingdom upon the earth. The theory of church is breathtaking. There's just one little problem, one small fly in the ointment, one tiny cloud on the horizon, and it is and I speak as somebody that's been leading church for a long time, it is the people who make up the church. The people are like an ugly, great gash, ruining what would otherwise be a perfect canvas. And I say again, as somebody that's been leading a church for a long time, when I say the people, I really mean you. The people who make up the congregation of the church, don't worry, it'll be okay. You who make up the congregation of the church, it is you. A fellow leader once told me uh, that he'd received a warning that a member of his congregation was going to storm the stage while he was speaking. Now, in order to get that worked up, you would think something absolutely terrible must have happened in the church. Do you want to know what it was? What had happened was a member of his staff team had decided to cancel an evangelistic dinner. Oh, my Lord. Cancel a dinner. Of course. Storm the stage. Of course. You people are so difficult. Always complaining, being needy, not doing what we leaders ask you to do. As all leaders quickly discover just how many members of their church feel called to rest at any given time. Have you heard of the so-called military year off in the Old Testament? So basically, if you just got married in the Old Testament, you didn't go to war. The military year off. So basically, the first year, people have applied that to their first year of marriage. We don't do anything in the church for the first year of our marriage because we've just got married. We are having a year off. So some extend that into a decade, and others choose to take that time off, even though they've never been married. (laughs) After a while, you come to love the people who just show up. I would like to show you Kate Gray. I should take a picture of Kate. She has been in my church from the time we started. I don't know how many years is. I can never keep track of it. She is one of my spiritual heroines. She's, she's kind of semi-illiterate. She writes to the Queen a lot and Simon Cowell. And basically, and she's met them both. 
Only Kate could do that. But, but the thing is, um, she used to, st- think about this, she used to stand by the internal doors in my church and open them during services so they didn't squeak and distract people. How many people are like her? Not many of you. The people of the church are such a problem. And of course, so are the leaders of the church. There we are. We feel better now. All leaders behave atrociously. And of course, I am no different unless worse is actually different. The same leader, uh, this is one of my favorite stories of all time. Church is, a, is, a, is comedy central, I think. But this is one of my favorite stories. The same leader who told me the, sta- the, storm st- the, the stage storming incident also told me a true story about a time when he was leading a growing church plant full of young families. It could not have been going better. Tons and tons of people are coming to this church plant. But there's one problem. He is a teacher and he likes to teach. And he has briefed his, star- his staff team. If people bring a crying baby in when I'm teaching you need to get them out in a nice way obviously but get them out because I'm teaching so basically one one day there's a baby it's going and you know how some babies cry in a hideous way others are kind of quite nice whatever but some of them it's awful crying and anyway so he's looking at his team they're just smiling back at him he's looking at the mother smiling back nobody's doing anything it goes on and on and this is what he does in the end Killed the church dead. Killed it. I mean, people left in the droves. He spent, he spent ages trying to repair the damage. Same guy. Right. Leaders. The leaders of the church are such a problem. They are demanding. They are oversensitive. They are controlling. They are weak. They fail to practice what they preach, don't they? If you don't know that, it's because you don't know them well enough. We are all problem people, aren't we? We sing about the perfection of God, which we just did very nicely, and all his ways, and then we behave as though we've never actually heard of God. Um, We get in the way of what God is doing, and yet paradoxically, we are the people God loves. He loves to use us, and astonishingly, we continue to be his only plan for the redemption of the world. Seriously, why is that? Has he not looked around at all? Best guess, actually, this is the glory of God who takes the weak and foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the strong, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.27. That's why it's not a compliment to be called a Christian. We are God's sick joke being told against the world that actually, to an extent, does have it up together. The reason we are in here is because we are weak enough to qualify. So let's not have any illusions. When Jesus says that we are sheep, that is not a good thing. Sheep are very stupid. If a sheep falls over, it cannot right itself. Sheep go to the same bit of the field, even if there's a blizzard, because they are sheep. They are stupid. It's not a compliment. So listen, seriously, why should we bother? Given the gap between who we are And who we should be. Why should we bother, you know, trying to do church properly, the way it's meant to be? I mean, this is a beautiful place. So many things to do outside. You know, and here you are in a dark auditorium that kind of smells. So why would we bother? Let's remind ourselves of Paul's uninteresting mystery. Now, you tell me if this excites you, but I'm guessing, unless you're lying, it doesn't. This is the mystery revealed by God to the Apostle Paul that energized his ministry, 
that got him into so much danger. Are you ready? It's quite a thing. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. That's the thing. It's, it's just not very interesting. How interesting is it? Surely the answer is not very for the vast majority of us. We haven't come from a background like Paul, in which those who were Jewish by birth considered themselves to be marked out by God as against the rest of the Gentile world and separated from it. For Paul, it was a monumental change to come to believe that membership of the people of God now had nothing to do with works of the law, which is a shorthand expression for circumcision and ritual food laws. It simply had to do with faith in the new thing that God had done in Jesus. And Paul explains that the two dividing walls of hostility, so explains that two dividing walls of hostility separate humanity. This is a throwback to Ephesians 2. The first dividing us from God because of our sin. The second dividing Jews from Gentiles because of a wrong understanding of what it meant to be the people of God on behalf of Israel. Paul always insists in his letter that in his letters that in Christ through his death on the cross these walls of division have been destroyed. So the coming into being of the church has huge implications. Listen to this. It has in it the offer of peace. So the church means peace. Firstly personal peace as we are reconciled to God and communal peace as we accept others who've also been reconciled on the same undeserving basis as ourselves. So there is an expectation resting on the church to show the world how people can resolve issues of strife within our community of peace. Oh dear me. But that's what the church is theoretically. It's a reconciliation of individuals to God bringing peace and it's a reconciliation of people to each other across the races, across the sexes, Across any divide, the rich and the poor, it is a communal expression of peace so the world can see what genuine peace looks like lived out amongst a group of people. I'm just going to say it again. This is a good one. This church is a good one. It has a good go at this. That's why it's safe to be here. But of course, it's not perfect and nowhere is. So this does make Paul's mystery a bit more interesting, I think. And it follows from this that the answer is never Jesus. So just a quick word to all you lone rangers out there, all those of you who effectively want to go it alone, and I put myself very much in that category. The answer is always also the church of Jesus, whatever the question. It's never just Jesus, it's also the church of Jesus. We're not free to disregard the church. Christians have to belong to a church. And no, church isn't meeting with your two best buds in a mutual appreciation society somewhere in a cafe. That is not church. Sorry. Worse still, believing in Jesus is not enough. Mere attendance is not enough. You need to be personally engaged with the people that make up your church and also with what your church is trying to do. Otherwise, when do we forever, for example, when do we ever need to display humility, gentleness, patience, or love? In the restaurant? Seriously, if you're not actually actively involved in relationships, when do you ever need to display the Christian virtues? You only need to display them if you're closely interacting with other people in the body of Christ. So that's completely the opposite of somehow being detached 
and thinking you'll take or leave church on your own terms. As I would say, most people that go to church honestly feel they do because we are individualists. We are the arbiters of our own destiny. We are the captains of our own ship. We are safer alone, even though we really know that well-being in life is to do with deep personal connection. Do you know, the longest longitudinal study ever undertaken was of Harvard graduates. It began in 1938, and it was looking at the question, what is the strongest predictor of success in life amongst these guys? It's still going on. Do you know the single highest predictor of success was the existence of a loving, ongoing relationship? So we are wired for deep intimacy. The opposite of intimacy is just dipping in your toe and being sort of involved. I go to the garden. Do you? Sort of. (laughs) It's not good for you. Okay, so how are we going to do this then? Be the real church. Do you know what? Having somebody like me shouting at you, by the way, I always shout at people, but having somebody like me shouting at you is not going to make you do any of this stuff. I'm going to make that very clear in a moment. But I am glad you asked how we're going to do this. Thank you for asking that. This whole letter is really an exhortation to live a life of corporate love. Paul instructs us to maintain our unity, which obviously means that it's possible to not maintain our unity, as we know only too well. So let's consider some common unity destroyers and see if you've ever done any of these as I have. Number one, pride. That is a determination that my way is the best and the only way. So we just see if we've ever been involved in that pride. Okay, good. Well done. Some human beings. Thank you for participating. Aggression. I'm going to get my way by force if necessary. Good. Impatience. Why can't you see that my way is the best and only way? Disregarding one another. Because you can't see that mine is the best and only way, you have no value. Right? Are these not common, right? These qualities make up a perfect disunity cocktail, our drink of choice when we revert to type, behaving with a defensiveness that suggests we think it's up to us to look after ourselves. Being a Christian does not take away personality flaws. It doesn't take away clashes between, two, between people. It does not take away strong disagreements. It shows us how to behave when they happen. So how are we going to do church properly? Well, look, we could give these things a try. What about humility? How about this? Try this, try this on for size. Give no time to proving how spiritual you are. And never jostle for position or recognition in the church. Whew. Humility. Let's try this. Meekness. Restrain your natural and immediate response to a situation. Have a go at that. What about patience? In a dispute, try to understand where the other person might be coming from. Being long-suffering. Give people a good chance to change before you open your great big mouth. See if they'll change anyway. People often correct themselves in church. To to have a conversation with me as the leader of St. Mary's, you need to have seriously cocked it up at least five times in public. Otherwise, I'm I'm trusting that, you know, you'll get it. Love. Make sure what you are doing to actively promote, promote the genuine welfare of your church community. We could give those a try. Yes, but how on earth are we actually going to do this? That's the question. 
Ladies and gentlemen, there is only one possible answer to this question, and it's contained in our reading. Would you mind just putting it back up again? It's really simple. The only way we stand a cat in hell's chance of doing any of this is by being filled with the Spirit. Verse 18b, not being filled with other things. Because you know what? When you're in pain, when somebody's hurt you, if you're anything like me, you are reaching for a substitute to fill yourself with. Right? So when I'm hurting, I am reaching for something else to fill me, to make me feel better. The Holy Spirit is the person that we should be instinctively reaching for when we are in these difficult sorts of situations because we're not supposed to do it on our own. And you know what? If you're filled with the Spirit, we will know that you are because you will have a song going on. Verse 19. You can always tell when somebody's filled with the Spirit because there is a song in the heart. It's a song of love for God. It's not something they have to dredge up from the depths of their memory. It's something that is actually actively going on right now. And the thing is, for some of us today, that will be going on. We're singing about Jesus and we love Jesus. And that's fine. We really do. We're not just grinding it out. We actually feel that way. How are you? Fine. I'm fine. Are you? Okay. When I first came to America, this is, this is very funny to me. I'm in a room of huge American guys. You do produce some very big people. And basically, these guys were enormous. And then there's little old me. And basically, everybody's coming up to me saying, Hey, John, how was the flight? Was it good? And, I, and I'm going, it was all right. Now, the thing is, it's the panic that came into their eyes. Like, I'm going to kill myself. No, that's just how we speak. We are low-key, a bit depressive. It's the weather. But it's not necessarily real. So I spoke in this church in Charlotte. White, bright, polite is what I think of it as. And it was as dead as a post. It was completely full. In fact, all the churches in Charlotte were completely full, without exception. Traffic cops on the road to regulate the flow. Overwhelmingly dead. I've never spoke in a deader place. I've never seen a more shocked reaction to the gospel than I did in that church. And those people have been going since childhood. Hell on earth, never wanted to go back, ended up going back several times, and there was a huge movement of the Spirit, thanks be to God, but that was a really difficult place to be. So if you're filled with the Spirit, your heart will readily express what it's full of, praise and thanks. And as you're sitting there today, right, if it's not, that's why we have ministry at the end. Every week that it's for, it's for you. It's for the people who are not right now. What I love about my church, and there are many problems with my church, many of them, mainly the people that go, many problems, but basically they do come forward for prayer. I like that about them. They're socialized into it from the beginning. We do our own version of Alpha, and basically as soon as they get converted, they experience the Spirit, it's part of the deal. So everybody comes forward. As a rule, most people come forward at the end of church. It's great. There's never a ministry team because they are the ministry team. But basically, you know, I prefer it that way. And you should do that. Whenever you're in need, you should come forward. Who gives the monkeys what people think of you? Who cares? Seriously, it's a church. It's not a social club. You, if you, you've got to be able to cry in church like you've got to be able to bleed in hospital, right? So basically, there's literally no point at holding it all together to perform for the very people you should be open with so that they can then actually be open with you. It's so self-defeating. We are so formal. We're so stiff and unopen and unopen. You know, we say we're open to God, but being open to somebody else is an absolute killer for us most of the time. So anyway, we all know what church should be like. We also know there are horrendous examples of failure within and between churches and between Christians. 
And we ourselves have suffered as a result, right? But we were never expected to do this stuff on our own. We, we, we don't have what it takes to pull this off, and we so often prove that. Why then do we so often behave as though it's all up to us and then wonder why it's gone wrong? So in my current thing, all I can think about is how hurt I am. That's all I can think about. I am hurt. I, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm thinking how much of what he said is true. I'm trying to evaluate that. And me being me, that means I'm going to involve a lot of other people, including a congregation of people I don't know. And so you can let me know afterwards if you have any thoughts, because I'm an external processor. So basically, I need to talk to other people about it. I'm very happy to talk to you. So basically, the thing is, um, I'm, I'm asking the question, am I actually wrong? Because I, I actually want to have hurt someone. However, I actually don't think I'm wrong. And then should I be indulgent? Would it be indulgent to give this guy what he actually wants? Do I care? Would it be best for him if I did? I'm going through it. I'm, I'm trying to pray for you. And all I can think of is this stupid relationship. And then I realize, oh, that's what I'm speaking about. So it helps me to empathize. And it moves it away from just being a formal exercise for me. And I can show you that church leaders are people. I know in this church that is modeled all the time. There's vulnerability. But I'm showing you that I am exactly the same as everybody else. Just have a quick look. <laughs> exactly the same. And having just as much need of God's grace as you do. Now, the reason that we just take it into our own hands is because we're not keen on the most important thing. On the easy and most wonderful thing, we're not keen on it. That is intimacy with God. That's the most important thing and the easy thing, but we're not that keen. It's something we prefer to nod at rather than experience. And that's the problem of church, ladies and gentlemen. People and leaders alike, not enough connection with God by his spirit. So I am quite simply a much nicer person after I've prayed. My family has learned this, and so they don't ask me to do things that I might not want to do until they know that I have prayed. And they ask me afterwards, because they get a different reaction before and after. And do you know why I'm a nicer person after I've prayed? It's because I've spent time with a much nicer person. I'm being serious. So as with all things Christian, the first place to start is with the Holy Spirit. Now I am known for teaching about the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm, this is very un-English and I struggle to do this, but I'm, I, I want you to buy my book. I do not want to carry the flipping hurt thing back with me. It's a nightmare. Please take it off my hands. So basically, I'm just going to be rude about people for a moment. I, I label myself as a charismatic right now. In your country, that means a slightly different thing from what it does in my country where it doesn't have the negative connotations. That's because we don't know what Christians are in my country. So if you say charismatic, that means literally nothing. So basically, I'm a charismatic, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. I've never had a time when I didn't experience the Spirit. I was converted from atheism. When I was converted, the Spirit fell on me. I spoke in tongues. I was with a conservative evangelical. He had no idea what was going on. Neither did I. And basically, I was then taught by Pentecostals and Ever since I've been a Christian, which is 30 years now, I've seen the sick healed, I've seen the spirit move in power, I've seen demons cast out, blah, 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 blah. So basically, I have prayed for thousands of people. And what I, I'm fighting a war uh, in which I want to say, if we're going to do this stuff, and for the love of God, please let us do this stuff, can we do it with a normal theology and a normal model? So 
I'm involved in this big thing in England called New Wine. Last year, people went forward for prayer. My wife was kissed during a time of prayer, kissed. My kid's worker was nuzzled. The youngest Christian was held between two women who rocked her from side to side and prophesied different things in either ear. And the youngest worship leader was kneed in the back of his leg to help him fall over. Now, that is crap. We don't do that stuff. We do not do that stuff. When people come forward for prayer, they deserve love. They deserve to be treated with dignity. They deserve to have their real needs ministered to, not by you, but by the Holy Spirit of God. So we have to do everything to help people experience God and to respect them as human beings. I always say, if you're praying for someone, you need to be a human being meeting a human being. So drop all the spiritual rubbish. You're not conducting electricity when you pray for people and, and you know, generally shaking around and doing weird stuff. It's weird enough anyway. Try to dial down the weird factor. <laughs> so basically, I, I'm tr- I am, I am synthesising some brilliant theologians who are actually largely English, and basically uh, who taught me, include, uh, actually Anne Gordon Fee, um, who was an American, possibly the greatest theologian, charismatic theologian I've read. And basically, uh, I'm synthesising these guys, and I'm adding the model of John Wimber. So let's just be very clear. The model of prayer comes from California. It does not come from England, St. Mary's, or London. We just had a very dramatic experience of the Spirit in the 80s and 90s through the Vineyard Movement. So I am ironically bringing back to California what you guys brought to us. Isn't life ironic? And so basically what John Wimber had was a much better way of praying for people. Theology, mm, okay, better than some. But basically, mm, but the model of prayer, fantastic. And so basically, I am looking at the difficulty of talking about the Spirit as a person, Spirit in the Old Testament, Spirit in the New Testament, Kingdom of God in the Old Testament, Kingdom of God in the New Testament, meaning of Pentecost, um, but, in, but then also what Paul says in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians about the Spirit, and then practically, how do you pray for a person that's in front of your face? How do you lead a time of prayer for several people? How do you bring inner healing? How do you bring deliverance? How do you bring physical healing? How do you preach in the power of the Spirit? And how does worship fit into that? And it is quite rude and aggressive, as you can probably tell. And uh, you might find it fun. At the end of every chapter, there is a story which is just taken from my church or from the experiences we've had in other places like this. And the point of that is not to say anything about my church. It's just to say that if you keep on praying for people, you will have an inheritance of these wonderful stories of the power of God. So if you would like it, please go and buy it, but don't leave it with me. I've even got my son bringing stuff over as a kind of book mule and he's very resentful you have to take them off my hands so let's be very clear being true church is just as supernatural as healing the sick so when we're finding it difficult to hold things together with other people in church the holy spirit should be our first port of call the problem is he usually isn't and that's the difficulty According to Paul, though, the Christian life can only be lived out in the power of the Spirit. In fact, he is the person in whose whose dimension of life you experience God. If we experience God at all, he's the one that brings us the experience of God. He's the one who calls us to follow Jesus. He's the one that convicts us of sin. He's the one that teaches us to pray. He's the one that helps us to understand the Bible. He changes us from the inside out. He gives us gifts for service. It all comes from the Spirit. There is no aspect of the Christian life that can be truly lived out independently of the Holy Spirit. It's therefore vital to understand the work of the Spirit because Christianity is not merely a matter of church attendance. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian in the same way that going to McDonald's does not make you a burger. 
Christianity is not a religion. Indeed, as theologian Karl Barth once observed, religion is the height of our rebellion against God. Christianity is not a moral code in which we try really hard to work for God. That's dead religion. Christianity is a living relationship in which we come to know and experience God in Christ in the power of the Spirit. So that means we cannot afford to be cautious about the Spirit. I do not care what you've been taught in other places. You cannot be cautious about the Spirit. Can you imagine Jesus saying to his disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, but be careful. Can you imagine Jesus uttering the beatitude, blessed are the cautious? I don't think so. So you need to be as open to the Holy Spirit as you possibly can be, which does not mean you need to throw your mind away, pray about what socks to put on in the morning and go mental. It means be open to the power of the Spirit so you can help people like her or him. It's not complex. It's just about trying to follow what you think the Spirit is saying to you. It is not that difficult. You all experience the Spirit, but I want you to flow in the power of the Spirit so you can bring healing to people in every dimension of who they are, because that's part of what we're called to do. And it's fun. I want you to have fun. Our greatest need as individual believers is to experience a deep connection with our Father, something the Spirit alone brings to us. And this sense of connection alone assures us that we are loved and known, that we have a calling, that we have a purpose, and crucially, this equips us to be who we're meant to be in Christ. Anyway, that's why we need to be filled with the Spirit. So this is the promise of Jesus. How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So if you come forward for prayer, are we saying you haven't got the Spirit? Of course not. Of course you have the Spirit. We're asking the Spirit to come and do the bit that he wants to do now. So now that's enough from me. Now let's let God do something. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.